And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you.
When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioShow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. It is Friday night, January 27th, 2017. This is Last Fridays with Rocco P. on on the KIRP radio show. If you'd like to call in, that number is 619-638-8559, 619-638-8559. This is the last Friday of the first month of the new year. So much uh, has happened in the last month. Uh, I decided to do the last show of the last month, which is the last show of the last year, on Donald J. Trump before he took his oath of office to become President Donald John Trump. Now, there's so many angles. Uh, I want to focus primarily on one thing tonight, and that is Donald Trump and the war on terror. Donald J. Trump, President Donald John Trump and the war on terror. Many uh, many people who are libertarians, and I'm not speaking of the Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Party, similar to the Democrats and the Republicans, is largely co-opted. Uh, became really a standing joke with Gary Johnson this past year. Uh, Gary Johnson uh, with a running mate that uh, believed in gun control, a running mate that essentially endorsed Hillary Clinton. It was it was complete disgrace. Uh, in any case, uh, the libertarian philosophy is much broader than the libertarian party, which many libertarians who are philosophical libertarians have rejected and will continue to reject as a liber- libertarian party is essentially bankrupt and really isn't libertarian anymore. What do I mean by that? The, the basic, the basic philosophical premise of libertarianism is a non-aggressive, non-aggression principle, the NAP, non-aggression principle, meaning that government should not exert force, government should not exert violence against an individual unless an individual is violating another individual's rights. As far as violence, if they're violating the right against their body. If there some one individual is using violence, initiating violence against another individual, or from one individual is attempting to violate the property rights of another individual, then and only then could you justify some type of violence or force in reaction to that. It's a simple concept. Some people would look at the the golden rule in the Bible, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and it's not exactly that, but it is. Uh, it's certainly, it's it's consistent with that. It's 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 harmonious with that idea. So, a number of libertarians really jumped on the Trump train early on. Uh, you, you had certain intellectuals. Uh, they started a group, libertarians for libertarians for Trump. Uh, Walter Block was one of them, and uh, you, you saw largely positive things on LewRockwell.com. If you don't visit that site, lewrockwell.com, l-e-w-rockwell.com, please do. So there's always you know, a ton of good articles there to get you think outside the box, outside the normal paradigm of left versus right. You look at the U.S. Constitution, the paradigm 
obviously is not left versus right. It is uh, the individual, the rights of the individual versus the rights of the state. And the legitimate purpose of a government, the way the Constitution was framed, the legitimate purpose of the government was to protect the rights of the individual. Now, as the federal government has grown to be something that is completely alien to the original intent of the Constitution, it is completely alien, completely alien. Uh, we have the federal government passing laws on health care, no constitutional basis. Federal government passing laws about food, no constitutional basis. <laughs> the federal government passing laws about marriage, no constitutional basis. So it's just it's complete. It's it's completely illegitimate, really, if if you look at the simple original intent of the Constitution. So now we fast forward to 2017, and a populist, a legitimate populist, a legitimate outsider, Donald Donald J. Trump was elected president. And we could talk a lot about why he was elected president. I think, unless you know, you're extremely, extremely progressive, which really is is a that's a euphemism for regressive, unless you're extremely neoliberal. Uh, it's, I think it's rather obvious why Trump won. A lot of people may not have agreed with things he said and did, but they appreciate the fact that someone who's up there who, number one, had never been elected to anything. He was a legitimate outsider, not a fake outsider. Not like when George W. Bush ran for president after being uh, governor of, of Texas after his dad was vice president for eight years to Ronald Wilson Reagan, after his dad was president for four years, after his dad, prior to that, had been had been director of central intelligence. But George W. Bush, he ran. He ran and got elected in 2000. He said he, he was against those Washington insiders. Yeah, he was an outsider, right? People, I think, gravitated towards Trump because he was a legitimate outsider, had never um, sought political office. Uh, apart from the fact he never held office, he never sought it. And he did speak his mind. A lot of people, I think, have been r- rightly so, you know, fed up and, you know, really, really uh, disgusted with political correctness. And again, even though people like me, I mean, I don't think anyone, even Trump, could agree with everything Trump has always said, people found it refreshing. You had someone who was out there and he really did speak his mind. And of course, you know, there were his positions, some positions like, you know, building the wall, uh, America first, protecting American jobs, bringing the factories back. All that resonated. I mean, that resonated with the middle class, which has been methodically eviscerated. The middle class, which is dwindling away and away and away. So now, candidate Donald J. Trump is President Trump. And... During the campaign trail, obviously, you know, Trump had been, you know, over all over the map on certain issues, not everything. One of the areas, though, and this is part of the reason he did gain the support of some, you know, philosophical libertarians, is because he clearly was a non-interventionist. In other words, Trump, for a very long time, and with great consistency, unlike some other areas, he's, you know, he's in different places, but with fairly great consistency, he has been against uh, foreign wars of aggression, uh, fairly great consistency, you know, good part of his life. I mean, you could pull up the transcript uh, when Trump was on Larry King Live. 
talking in 2004. Uh, that was November 24, 2004. You could pull up that transcript. And Trump opposed the Iraq war back in 2004. At one point, I don't know if it was that year, he had took out a one-page ad, I think it was in the New York Times, opposing you know, uh, the Iraq war. So that was really, I mean, that's out there. I mean, that, that is out there. That that definitely made Trump very attractive to certain people that were very liberty-minded. And, again, you look at so much to say about Trump. Again, I just want to focus on tonight's show. I want to focus on the war on terror and things that has happened very recently, things he said. Uh, what do you do? Again, Trump is a president now. How is he going to approach the Middle East and the broader idea of this war on terror? The war on terror lacks a legal basis. The war on terror lacks a rational and a logical basis. Uh, the war on terror lacks integrity. In the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, only Congress can declare war. It's very simple. Only Congress can. Okay. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 of the Federal Constitution reads, quote, this is under enumerated functions of the Congress of the United States. To declare war, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, and to make rules concerning captures on land and water. As I've said before, and I'm sure I will say again, the last time, the last time the U.S. followed the Constitution and legally declared war was against Romania as part of World War II. That's when the U.S. as a sovereign nation declared war against other sovereign nations. After World War II, the United States has followed a very and extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous and destructive path, and that's to abdicate. The U.S. Congress has abdicated their responsibility to declare war, and they've decided that they would fund war. And that has made the president more and more a dictator. That, that president started with the Korean War, when the U.S. committed forces based upon the U.N. mandate. Extremely, extremely dangerous. And now, we don't even debate that anymore. It was debated when people had more respect for the Constitution, when there's more respect for the rule of law in this country. People would debate this and speak out against that during the time of the Korean War in the 1950s. People would speak out and debate this during the time of the Vietnam War in the 60s. People would, yeah, you know, would be it would be a talking pool would say, well, that's it's not a legal war. War was never declared. And now, you, know, you just have someone like Ron Paul in years past, recently, when they'd raise that issue, and uh, he would normally be excoriated. Yeah, he, he would be he'd be defamed by you know, so many traitors in an outside government, particularly in Congress, who would just say they wouldn't want to debate Dr. Paul. But they derided him. They ridiculed him. Said we we don't do that anymore. <laughs> it's just so who changed the Constitution? Well, they did without without writing it down, just by by not obeying it. <laughs> so now Donald Trump is President Trump, and what is Donald Trump going to do with the war on terror? The war on terror, as I said, has 
has no legal basis in the Constitution. The Constitution is the highest law of the land. Any law made in contradiction to the Constitution is not legal. Any federal law is not legal. The way the Constitution was originally written, you had certain enumerated powers that was given to the federal government, and they called it the general government, and everything else belonged to the states. Uh, now we have a much, much different system where the federal government has assumed monstrous powers, and you cannot find the government that we live under in the, in the, within the confines of the Constitution. It's impossible. That's why if, if, if you believe the things I'm saying, some people say, well, that's, that's radical. It's really not radical. It's restorationist. <laughs> you call for, if you call for return to the simplicity of the rule of law and the simplicity found within the confines, if, if the government, the federal government was confined to what the Constitution say, states, we'd have a very small federal government. And to a large degree, we wouldn't have to worry about any president becoming dictatorial because he wouldn't have much to do. <laughs> but we're we're not we're not there. Uh, particularly, I mean, you go back to Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, who illegally declared war against the states that decided to secede, uh, and of course the states that left. There's nothing in the Constitution that said a state could not leave. There's nothing there. That's why after the Civil War, when the Union troops occupied federal state houses, such as in Raleigh, North Carolina, at gunpoint, they forced the, the former Confederate states to change their state constitutions to, to make secession illegal. Why did they do that? Because there was nothing, and still is nothing, in the federal constitution that says a state can't walk away. It's not there. So the president has grown power after the War of Northern Aggression. Uh, uh, after that happened, you know, the president has grown power. We had more power came to the president as the U.S. entered European wars, you know, World War One, World War Two, and after World War Two, with the construction, the erection of the national security state. A number of laws were passed, the Special National Security Act, that essentially made the president a de facto dictator. That's the system we're under. So now Donald J. Trump is president. What is he going to do with this war on terror? I said the war on terror is not only illegal, it's also irrational. It defies logic. Why is that? You cannot declare a war on an ideology. If you define terrorism as an ideology, you cannot declare much less win a war on ideology. You also can't declare a war much less win a war against a tactic. So whether you can sure define terrorism as a tactic and or an ideology is by definition impossible to declare war on and win against a tactic or an ideology. It's absolutely impossible. It's 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 beyond absurd. Yet this is the system that now President Trump has inherited. And once again, to his credit, it's one of the areas you could perhaps argue few areas where Donald J. Trump has been consistent throughout the years, and he has opposed the foreign wars of aggression. But the debate during during the during the debates before he was elected, the issue of torture came up, and uh, 
Trump pretty much uh, he pretty much embraced torture at one point. Uh, he said uh, he had talked to people. I didn't play that clip, and they thought it was a good idea. Now it's getting revisited because the document was released, and no one it would, it would appear as if it was a white paper. Uh, it wasn't from the White House, but something someone produced the document. Uh, I don't think it's been revealed yet who. This happened the last few days, and uh, then the press got hold of it, and Trump started to speak about that. He spoke about that in his uh, in his interview on ABC News. But I'm going to play this clip. Then this is from uh, this is from CNN. Even though it is CNN, it's recent. This is from two days ago, and uh, it's a short video. And they called it Trump tor- torture. Absolutely works. So. This is in the context, again, for for all intents and purposes, about this war on terror, which Trump obviously has to address. And if he doesn't address it, uh, it will very it very well will address him. In other words, the U.S. already is has these bases uh, all over the world, but particularly in the Middle East. Again, uh, what will what will President Trump do with this war on terror that does involve, among other things? detainees and torture. President Donald Trump telling ABC News earlier today that torture absolutely works and that the U.S. should, quote, fight fire with fire against terrorists. I have spoken as recently as 24 hours ago with people at the highest level of intelligence, and I asked them the question, does it work? Does torture work? And the answer was yes. Absolutely. I want to do everything within the bounds of what you're allowed to do legally. But do I feel it works? Absolutely, I feel it works. Now, the president added that he will rely upon the counsel of CIA Director Mike Pompeo and Secretary of Defense General James Mattis. Mattis has said torture does not work. Joining me now is Republican Senator Dr. Rand Paul of Kentucky. Senator Paul, thanks for being here. Uh, what's your reaction to, to what the president had to say about torture? You know, I was comforted about a month ago when I heard that he had had a conversation with General Mattis, who unequivocally has said that torture doesn't work. But we've also studied this. The CIA detained 119 people, 39 of them were tortured, and the conclusion of the Senate committee's report was that it didn't work. But there was also something very alarming. Of the 119 people that the CIA detained around the world, 26 of them were mistakenly identified sometimes with people who had similar names, but they detained the wrong people. I think most Americans would be alarmed if 22% of the people we picked up and tortured were the wrong people. So, yeah, I think there's a real problem, one, whether it works or not, but two, if we get the wrong people, there's no due process, there's no sort of time to say, well, let's have a trial to find out who we have here. So, yeah, I'm alarmed by anybody that wants to go back to torture, the people in the Senate who have been tortured, namely John McCain, don't think torture is a good idea also. It's currently against the law, and I hope it will remain against the law. So that clip, uh, that clip was good. There's, uh, I agree with Rand Paul there. Rand normally says just enough to get you to think that he's real, and occasionally he does make good statements like that. Uh, I don't want to beat up on Senator Paul tonight, but uh, I do believe Rand is owned. Uh, when Rand was running for president, he was able to get uh, Kentucky to change their rules 
their laws so that he could run concurrently for president as well as senator. And that doesn't happen unless you're a part of the problem, not to mention his endorsement of Mitch McConnell. I'm not going to go down there tonight. But I, I do appreciate what Rand Paul did say in that context about torture. And it is encouraging that uh, the confirmed Secretary of Defense, former General Ma- Mad Dog Mathis, then is, uh, Mattis is an opponent of torture. That's good. That's very good. Don't know where Pompeo stands. Uh, I'm not sure. Pompeo is in the House. Uh, Pompeo, when when in the House, uh, he did not have some really good things to say in general about civil liberties. I don't know where that would shake down in terms of torture. But let me pull up one article on Pompeo, which is pretty interesting. Chuck Baldwin, former uh, candidate from the Constitution Party for president, uh, he had some very interesting things to say about uh will just really expose certain things that Pompeo had said. Chuck Baldwin was was Constitution Party candidate for president in 2008. It was 2008. And uh, Chuck Baldwin was a Baptist pastor, uh, really pastors in the Penn Church now in Montana. But he has been uh, he's been fairly consistent in just viewing political reality from the context of the rule of law and really our individual liberties. And for that reason, uh, he did not. Uh, he appreciated certain things Trump had did, but he refused to get on the Trump train. This was, was from an article that Chuck Baldwin wrote, published on December 1st. Is Jeb Bush picking Trump's key leadership picks? <laughs> and uh, he mentioned Pompeo there, a director of Central Intelligence, Congressman Mike Pompeo. This is from Chuck Baldwin, quote, This man is an absolute disaster. He's a major proponent of the surround society. He supports unlimited government spying on American citizens. He supports the indefinite detention sections of the NDAA. I'll get back to I'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, he supports the indefinite detention sections of the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act. And Chuck Baldwin is talking about the 2012 NDAA. And those provisions authorize federal agents or military troops to seize American citizens and hold them indefinitely without a warrant, without providing the person seized with an attorney, and without even the right of habeas corpus. So we'll talk about habeas corpus later also. He calls government whistleblower Edward Snowden, Snowden a traitor who should be executed. The police state has no better friend than Congressman Mike Pompeo. <laughs> and then Chuck Baldwin had some comments, too, about National Security Advisor General Michael Flynn. Flynn gave some pushback to Obama, you may remember, because Flynn essentially embarrassed Obama, and I think that led to him uh, him being fired wherever post he was in in the Obama administration because he essentially exposed the fact that uh, elements of the U.S. government were very much supporting uh, ISIS, uh, which is no surprise to anyone that studies the history of the region, and particularly of uh, Islamic or Muslim terrorists since Al-Qaeda could well be called Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was created by U.S. intelligence to a large degree, and I would maintain you can make a very good case. It has always been controlled by elements of the CIA. Here's a quote from Chuck Baldwin about Flynn, General Michael Flynn. Quote, Flynn is a rabid supporter of the global war on terror. He will enthusiastically expand the global war on terror to levels never before seen. He has totally brought into the anti-Muslim hysteria that has swept through the conservative 
Christian and Republican worlds. It is anti-Muslim hysteria created by our own CIA, the Israeli Mossad, British MI6, Wahhabi terrorists from Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, most of whom couldn't even find Mecca on a map, and professional agitators from Turkey, which the neocon establishment uses to foment all these endless wars of aggression that Trump said he opposed on the campaign trail. If Mr. Trump really wanted to put an end to the perpetual war doctrine created by the Bush family, he would never have chosen General Flynn. So that remains to be seen. We'll see how that shakes out. So we've got Pompeo there in the CIA, uh, not a fan of our individual liberties, and it, appear, it would appear Michael General Flynn's uh, General Flynn's positions prior to being appointed as National Security Advisor uh, was not consistent with Trump's position against foreign wars of aggression. Trump is interesting in the way, as in, of course, that's you know, just. It's very new. We're talking about you know a week in office, but Trump's very interesting as far as how he describes the way he does certain things. And obviously, coming from his perspective, you can't build what he did in the private sector without delegating things. It's just there's just too much to do. I mean, uh, obviously, there's, there's yeah. He Donald J. Trump was not a sole proprietor. Uh, he was over you know a number of corporations. You know, a handful had failed, but yeah. You know, Trump has employed thousands and thousands of people, so you have to know how to delegate when you're coming from that level of uh, executive authority in this background. So this issue has come up again. Trump just today had a press conference with British Prime Minister Theresa May, and he was, he was questioned again about the torturing. And again, uh, this is part, this is only, this is a small part, this is part of the war and terror narrative as far as, you know, is it right? Uh, should the U.S. torture enemy combatants and those people then arrest the word enemy combatants based on the 2012 NDAA? That could be me or you. I'll get into that later. But uh, Trump's answer was pretty interesting. He's cornered. He was evidently uh, nailed by a British reporter and he to clarify the idea on about this, uh, about torture, because you'd heard of what you just said. And then ABC News, uh, the first interview you gave to ABC News, he was convinced it worked. And I agree with General Mattis. Uh, I do not believe it works. Think about it logically. If you torture a human being, I think that human being at one point will say, regardless of their training and background, that at one point most humans are going to basically tell you anything. Someone will tell you that they assassinated President Lincoln to stop the torture. So I don't, you know, you shouldn't make the decision based upon pragmatic reasons only because we should be a nation, we should be a civilized nation, we should be a nation of rules and laws, particularly the Constitution, highest law of the land. But even if you'd make, yeah, at base level, if you make that pragmatic argument that we should do it because it works, I do not believe it does work. But here's Trump from today's uh, today's press conference. We have a great general who has just been appointed Secretary of Defense, uh, General James Mattis, and uh, he has stated publicly that he does not necessarily believe in torture or waterboarding, or however you want to define it. Enhanced interrogation, I guess, would be a word that a lot of words that a lot of people would like to use. Um, 
I don't necessarily agree, but I would tell you that he will override because I'm giving him that power. He's an expert. He's highly respected. He's the general's general. Uh, got through the Senate very, very quickly, which in this country is not easy, I will tell you. And uh, so I'm going to rely on him. I happen to feel that it does work. I've been open about that for a long period of time. Uh, but I am going with our leaders. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to win with or without. But I do disagree. So that was interesting uh, how how Trump is claiming at this point, yeah, seven days into it, uh, how he believes he's going to make certain decisions. He's placed people in certain positions, and he's going to defer to them. Again, once again, it does make sense thinking about his his executive background. It does it makes perfect sense. And of course, there's people he's placed into positions of power. You know, most of them are scoundrels, in my opinion. Uh, you could check out last month's uh, show. I talked about Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary. You do a little research on Mnuchin and Indy Pack, uh, uh, Indy Mac. Uh, in any case. This is Trump's developing position. Uh, he says he personally believes in torture. He will defer to Mattis, who believes it is wrong. But still, the broader issue is the war on terror. Uh, there is no constitutional basis. Uh, it is illegal. The Constitution is the highest law of the land. Any law that's passed, ratified, uh, doesn't matter if it's not constitutional, ultimately. War on terror is irrational. It's illogical. You can't declare war on an ideology or a tactic. So exactly, precisely what will President Trump now do with this war on terror? I'm going to take a break, and I come back, I'll talk about some things Trump had said about Syria that once again appears to contradict his non-interventionist sentiments, again, in areas where he has been very consistent before he was ever running as candidate for many years. We'll talk about what he said about Syria. And then we'll go back to Guantanamo. We'll talk about Obama and uh, habeas corpus in the 2012 NDAA. And hopefully we'll, we'll look at what's going on and we'll have a better understanding of these issues and how literally this is not this is not theoretical stuff. This could affect all of us in a very real and direct way, particularly when we talk about the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act and provisions in the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act for indefinite detention could affect anyone, anyone in the United States, literally anyone in the world. But there's no waiver for U.S. citizens if a U.S. citizen is found or declared to be an enemy combatant. But we will take a break now, come back and continue to discuss Donald, President Trump, and the war on terror. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, 
nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. Two million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize. Government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P Radio! You're listening to last Friday... Nights of the Month with Rocco P. on the KRP radio show discussing President Trump and the war on terror. This piece was printed yesterday on January 26th. I'm reading from a CBS News article. Russia urges caution over Trump's Syria plans. Russia urges caution over Trump's Syria plans. Quote from this, from this uh, CBS AP piece. Really, CBS took an AP piece and brushed it up a little bit. The Kremlin said Thursday that any plans for safe zones should be thoroughly considered after President Trump revived the long-debated concept of secured areas for civilians inside war-torn Syria. And I found, not quoting now, I found it really interesting that Trump's using this phrase, safe zones. Safe zones. I had not heard that and. uh it seems different. Uh, it's I don't remember that that phrase being used before. Uh, if it was a no-fly zone, that would be a declaration of war against Russia since they're in the area. But he talked about safe zones for civilians inside war-torn Syria. Back to the article quote: Asked to comment on a draft executive order that Mr. Trump is expected to sign this week. Russian President Vladimir Putin's spokesman Dmitry Peskov stressed that it was that it was important in Moscow's view to thoroughly calculate all possible consequences of the measure. He noted that it would be important not to it would be important not to exacerbate the situation with refugees. While suspending new U.S. visas for Syrians and others from a handful of predominantly Muslim nations. The order would direct the Pentagon and the State Department to produce a plan for safe zones in Syria 
in the surrounding area within 90 days. I'll do. I'll absolutely do safe zones in Syria for the people, Mr. Trump said in the interview with ABC News aired Wednesday, and that was the same interview when he defended torture. Back to the CSAP piece, quote, safe zones proposed by both Mr. Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton during the campaign were considered by the Obama administration years ago and rolled out, in part because of concerns it could put American aircraft in harm's way with Russia raging a relentless air campaign in Syria and because it was believed that securing such zones would require a large deployment of U.S. troops to the country. About one year ago, Russia dismissed the concept of no-fly zones in Syria, which were considered at least then necessary if safe zones would be created on the ground. The Kremlin said such areas could only be established with the consent of Syrian President Bashar Assad in UN backing. Kind of makes sense uh, if it if it is uh, if it is uh, Syria that the Syrian President would uh, have something to say about it. Back to the AP CBS piece. A senior European official, senior European Union official, said Thursday that it was too early to comment on the Trump administration's intentions regarding safe zones in Syria. EU foreign policy chief Federica Mogherini said the European Union would consider plans when they come. Speaking at a press conference in the Lebanese capital. Mogherini said the EU wants to see a political solution and a political transition to Syria that will allow every single Syrian to return to their country. European leaders, including German Chancellor Angela Angela Merkel, have expressed support in the past for the concept of safe zones in Syria. A Turkish official, meanwhile, said Thursday that his country has always supported the idea of safe zones, but would need to review any U.S. plans before commenting. Foreign Ministry spokesman Hussein Muftugalu told reporters that Turkey has seen the reports on a request for a study of the safe zone, adding that what is important is to see the result of these studies. Turkey has been a staunch backer of the rebel forces fighting to topple Assad and a firm ally to Washington. A recent thaw in Ankara's relations with Moscow coinciding with increasing Turkish tension with Washington has helped pave the way for the ongoing dialogue aimed at fixing a political solution to the six-year war. So it may be, I'm thinking out loud, maybe Trump is talking about doing something in Syria to alleviate the refugees you know, leaving Syria and the general area going to Europe and elsewhere. And of course, it's well known, those uh, some of the so-called refugees you know, the vast majority weren't coming from Syria anyhow, <laughs> anyway. But, would, again, this does not seem consistent uh, with what Trump has said for a long time. Uh, certainly, I don't know how these so-called safe zones could be set up without uh, really uh, any type of no-fly zone. I'm not sure. Um, maybe maybe it could be somehow. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. But that just came out again. That just came out on the 26th. We're talking yesterday. At the press conference today with British Prime Minister Theresa May, and she uh, she seemed to speak out of the both sides of her mouth, which is common for politicians. 
she pledged an end to failed foreign wars, but then attempted to chastise Trump about NATO. <laughs> when Trump has basically used common sense since NATO or North Atlantic Treaty Organization only came, exclusively came into existence to counter the Soviet bloc, the Warsaw Pact, with the dissolution of the former Soviet Union, the original intent of NATO has long been over. And uh, as I said before in the show, if you just look a little bit on a map, you see ex-Soviet states, the U.S. via NATO, has done a very good job at attempting to circle Russia <laughs> with former Soviet states. So uh, no, NATO has not been a stabilizing force. NATO has been a provocative force force for aggression and war. NATO should go away. Uh, when we talked about talked about uh, torture, a lot of this, uh, not exclusively, but a lot of this was in the news years back, too, because of Guantanamo Bay. The U.S. has, if you have not heard, the U.S. has a base in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay. So Cuba has never cashed the checks that the U.S. gives them each year because they don't appreciate the fact that the U.S. has the base there. <laughs> but it's there. Uh, it's, it's there, Guantanamo Bay. Nickname is Gitmo. And it was uh, one of the many, many, many lies that Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, has said when he was on the campaign trail before he was elected in uh, 2008. He promised to close Guantanamo. Now, I'm going to play this clip not just to beat up on Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoru, because it is relevant to the war and terror narrative. And it is it is a classic illustration of just how prolific a liar Obama was. I mean, it's just, it's, it's classic. It's reduced when we've got a Guantanamo that is open, when we suspend habeas corpus, those kinds of things erode our moral claims uh, that we are acting uh, on behalf of broader universal principles, and that's one of the reasons why those kinds of issues are so important. We're going to lead by shutting down Guantanamo and restoring habeas corpus in this country so that we offer them an example. Uh, I think that uh, folks made a terrific point that we have to stand for human rights, and that should be part of the trade equation. It is harder for us to do it when we have situations like Guantanamo, where we've uh, suspended habeas corpus. To the extent that we are not being true to our values and our ideals, that sends a negative message to the world, and it gives us less leverage then when we want to deal with countries that are abusing human rights. So I think it's, it's part and parcel with a larger program of us restoring the traditions that made this country great and made us admired around the world. There are a number of different things that you could do early pertaining to executive orders. Right. Uh, one of them is to shut down Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. Another is to uh, change uh, interrogation methods that are used by U.S. troops. Are those things that you plan to take early action on? Yes. Uh, I have said repeatedly that I intend to close Guantanamo, and I will follow through on that. Uh, I've said repeatedly that America doesn't torture and I'm going to make sure that we don't torture. Uh, those, are, uh, those are part and parcel of an, an effort to regain uh, America's moral stature in the world. So that is, uh, that's a classic clip there. And I remember arguing with a friend of mine, or argue, disagreeing with a friend of mine who was 
at the time a neocon. I think he's a semi-neocon now. And I guaranteed him in 2000, I said, uh, Obama will never close Guantanamo. And of course, he never did. He left office. There were uh, 40, 60 people still in Guantanamo. Never closed down. Tried to blame Congress. Got one caller. Uh, hey, good evening. You are on the KRP radio show. May I have your name, please? Hey, this is Ed. How you doing? Good, good. What state are you from? Uh, Florida. Florida. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, you know, it's like uh, I think Trump is trying to push in uh, a lot of things, and I just don't know if uh, America's really ready to handle it. Because we've been so conditioned one way that it's going to be hard to handle change. We need it, but can we handle I uh I don't know. I mean, I, I think... The people obviously want change. That's why they voted for someone unprecedented who was never elected to anything. So I think the people have no problem with change. And of course, you know they divide us. Uh, they get us to fight one another with a lot of fake issues. Uh, but I think the people do want change. But of course, you know tonight I'm just looking at this idea of the war on terror. Uh, Trump has said it was one of the reasons I went back and forth with Trump when he was running for office, but there's one of the reasons to me why he was attractive early on is that he openly spoke against intervention in these Mideast wars. I mean, if you remember before the South Carolina primary, uh, he sounded like Ron Paul on steroids as far as, you know, the foreign wars of aggression. But now, yeah, now he's talking about these safe zones in Syria. Uh, he's personally committed to torture, though he said he will, uh, he will defer to General Mattis if Mattis is against torture, it appears like he is. So, uh, again, uh, the people obviously are behind Trump, and he will continue to gain popularity if he brings jobs back here, if he follows through on that. And you know, I think the wall will, you know, people see the effects of limiting immigration. That will gain in popularity. But as far as the geopolitics here, this is a, it's a very serious issue in my mind with Mr. Trump, President Trump now. That I uh, just don't think, particularly look at Pompeo, uh, some, of the, some of the people he surrounded himself with, these are not people that uh, do respect their individual liberties. That's pretty much where I'm coming from tonight. Well, if he uh, stands up for individual liberties, that would be great. You know, and it, it's good seeing Pence down there at the rally today, or the pro life rally, which is positive. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, and if we can bring back states' rights, I mean, Roe versus Wade was bad law. It's up to the states to decide that issue. Was it explicitly said in the Constitution? It should be up to the states. That's where our founders wanted, and that's why we need to do it. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully it'll go that way. Um, Trump, but it has so much, you know, press around because the press is only. You know, the, the power to be. It's just going to be tough because they got divided. It's very, very divided. There's a lot of people that aren't happy with what's going on. I just think it's, uh, I think he's, by, next, by the end of the year, I'd love to see government limited. I don't think it's really government limited. I don't think we're going to be going from $20 trillion in debt to $18 
believe in that. I think it's going to fizzle, and I think Big Gumbo's going As far as you're breaking up a little bit, as far as the debt? As far yeah, the debt, I think it's going to increase. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I don't know what the estimations are if if he's thrown at any numbers, but I don't think. I mean, it's particularly when he's talking about these, you know, these huge infrastructure programs, it's hard to believe it could shrink unless, you know, overnight, you know, he did he did things that were radical, like President Nixon created the EPA by executive order with a stroke of a pen. Tomorrow or right. tonight, President Trump could abolish the EPA with the stroke of a pen. That was still a lot of money. Yeah, that would uh, really <laughs> cut the debt right there. <laughs> Nixon increased it. Trump could decrease it if he did that, but that's not going to happen. Well, I think, I, I mean, the initial signs are with who he appoint. That's I think that's one of the few good appointments. I, I forget the name of the gentleman he appointed to the EPA, but... Yeah, he appointed someone to the EPA who's really against the EPA. Uh, you know, we've had some, you know, we've had these regulations with the State Department. So I think the EPA will shrink, but it should go away. And again, does Trump have, does he have the political will to do that? Uh, right. I don't know. It'd be great. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath. Going back to Nixon, worse than the EPA, the DEA, Nixon yeah. created the DEA. So I would love to see Trump get rid of the DEA, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Not that 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 would be a that that would be awesome too. I'm glad you said that. Uh, I I I did not know Trump created the DEA. I knew. I mean, no Nixon no. created the DEA. Nick, uh, Nick, yeah, that that would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Nixon the law. The DEA was signed the law, man. I, I mean, that was that that was my era of seeing that. Street activists, man, and I hated it when he created the DEA, man. It was terrible, terrible. One of the worst. No, no. I, 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 worse than the no. EPA. I think it was worse than the EPA. The DEA no, I, has caused grief to the human yeah. race and the United States and, every, and the worldwide than the DEA or the uh, EPA. It, it's the worst thing ever created. It's Nixon signed in law. No, it, it was horrible. I mean, in the past, I used to, you know, when I was less, when. I really didn't understand the Constitution and our history that much. Yeah, I, I just basically went along with the war on drugs. Tonight I'm talking about the war on terror. But uh, you're absolutely right. When I realized that, number one, there was no constitutional basis to any laws restricting drugs. I mean, you look at prohibition. When this nation passed uh, yeah. prohibition. The 18th Amendment was probably the worst amendment of all. You can argue yeah. the 16th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 17th Amendment. The 18th Amendment was it was perpetual against liberty. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying when when at least when they passed prohibition in in the early 20th century, they respected the Constitution enough to realize, hey, there's no constitutional basis to to pass a federal law to make alcohol legal, so we have to amend the Constitution. Then with the war on drugs stuff. They just pass these laws and they just ignore the Constitution. There's no, there's no constitutional yeah. basis. And then when I realize, and I, I know, I know you, you, you know what I'm about to say is true. What does the war on drugs do? It basically just creates a prison population for non, you know, for nonviolent offenders. So I mean, if if you want a police state, one way you do it is just keep on building prisons. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is that is a violation of the human rights, uh, the unalienable rights that our founding fathers wanted us to have. You know, so the probably the worst worst thing that ever happened was the eighteenth amendment and then the nineteen thirty seven marijuana tax act, the, the uh, narcotics act of nineteen thirteen and the and the creation of DEA by um Nixon and then the increasing of by war on drugs by uh the girl that believed in astrology married to a guy named Reagan. It was pretty stuff, but uh, too many human beings because of it. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, hopefully, and again, this is why some liberty-minded people, libertarians, did, in spite of the downside of Trump, did endorse him and support him, and that was because they saw a window of opportunity. They saw they saw the potential of a populace changing some things. And thus far, uh, it looks like he definitely isn't well, status quo. Actually, I, I believe the libertarians went more for Trump than they did for Gary Johnson. And the Democrats Republicans voters went more for Gary Johnson. And, you know, because he got more percentage ever for a uh, libertarian candidate. But I myself voted for Trump. Only reason I voted Trump, I did not want Hillary. This, uh, you know, I've been voting since, since the uh, '70s, and it's like this is the very first time I voted for a Democrat or Republican because I hate them both. Well, but I voted yeah. for Trump because I realized the differences, and a lot of libertarians I know voted the same way. No, I, I hear you. I had not voted for a Republican or a Democrat since uh, well, I never voted for a Democrat. I hadn't voted for a Republican for president since 2000. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I did flip for Trump, too, thinking about uh, what it would be like to have Hillary around. But uh, we shall see. I mean, we shall see. Like I said, at this point, it's definitely not status quo. But uh, I still, to me, I'm still deeply concerned over these issues when he's not just defending torture, but he's talking about these safe zones in Syria and with people like Pompeo around uh and again, you talk about Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, he's someone he supports this war on Jeff drugs. Sessions. Yeah, he's a big question, man. If you would come on and say, "Hey, I want pot legalized around the country," I would like the guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't yeah, see. No, I I completely agree with you. Sessions Sessions' track record is really bad. Individual. I mean, he I don't. He has no problem with the security state. He has no problem with the NSA, and he has no problem with the war on drugs. And it's funny because you look at Trump's style again. I think Trump at the personal level would probably wouldn't have a problem with uh yeah, getting rid of a good part of the war on drugs. But again he's surrounding himself with these people. He's gonna to defer to them. But maybe he'll control them. And maybe they'll surprise us. And that's maybe. what we gotta watch. You know what I mean? They can't do any worse than the Nixons and Reagans that created them. Yeah, it's, it, w- it would be a pleasant prize. We'll see. I still think eventually, I mean, I think the New World Order let Trump win. They want Trump to win because eventually the economy is going to tank, and then they'll be able to pin it on him. Yeah, he'll be he'll basically be known as Herbert Hoover on steroids, but we'll see. We'll see. After one week, right. it, it, after a week it's been interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, Anything else? Nah, that's it, man. It's talk to you. Look, thanks for calling. Please call again. All right, man. Bye. Have a good night. Before a caller called, thank you, caller. That was talking about Obama, and Obama, of course, never did close down Guantanamo Bay, one of many prominent lies that Obama made. And it is all tied together. You know, Trump had said during the campaign trail and he wanted to leave it open, of course, and never did close. I wanted to read through a few, selectively a few news pieces that talk about this idea. Uh, Jonathan Turley, constitutional lawyer, he wrote a piece uh, in August. Quote, Trump, Americans may be tried in military tribunals under his administration. This is from Turley's piece written, was published on Friday, August 12, 2016. Quote, I have long been a critic of military tribunals as constitutionally dubious and practically ineffectual institutions. The tribunals at Guantanamo Bay have resulted in few actual trials and undermined the standing of the United States as a nation committed to the rule of law. The principal rationale cited by former officials in defense of Gitmo has been that it would not be used to try citizens. Now, in a deeply, deeply disturbing interview, GOP presidential nominee Donald Trump has stated that he might try citizens at Gitmo, maintaining a shadow court system for stripping citizens of basic rights of due process just a few miles off the U.S. shore. As an attorney who has long practiced in the national security field, including terrorism cases, the tribunal system has never made a great deal of sense to me. Federal courts have long tried terrorists, and the government has a high success rate in such cases. The creation of a fall cause system, court system, only gives our enemies a rallying cry and fuels those, fuels those who to call, and fuels those, and, and fuels those who want to call us hypocrites. Those concerns are magnified by Trump's dismissal of any distinction between citizens and non-citizens in the use of such tribunals. In an interview with the Miami Herald on Thursday, this goes back to August, Trump was asked if he would use the tribunals against U.S. citizens. Trump responded, quote, Well, I know that they want to try them in our regular court systems, and I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. I would say they could be tried there. That would be fine. That may be fine in Trump's view, but it would also be unconstitutional. Presidents are not allowed to create an alternative to create alternative court systems for denying citizens of court rights at their discretion. Such a seizure-like role runs against the very grain of the American constitutional system. The statement by Trump reflects a disconcerting lack of faith in our court system and a fundamental misunderstanding of the limits placed upon presence in our constitutional system. So he totally nailed, nailed that, but uh, he could have went a step further, and he could have really talked about the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act. In in the Constitution, there w- there's not a blanket prohibition against standing armies. Okay, they debated this. You know, you look at at the uh, the discussion they had. The uh, the Constitution was passed with the promise that the Bill of Rights uh, that it would it would be ratified by the states at the state conventions only with the promise the Bill of Rights would be ratified. So there's a lot of documents out there. They they kept very good notes as far as debates on the Constitution, what what, what these what the Constitution meant. Not a long document. 
uh, roughly six pages, depending upon how big you print it. So there wasn't a blanket prohibition against standing armies. But what the Constitution did do, it gave a two-year window, a two-year gap, so that if the U.S. was at war, then they'd have two years to pay, basically pay off debts and get that settled up. The system, fast forward to today, 2017, the system that has been abused, particularly post-World War II, is that every two years, Congress has to authorize defense funds okay? when we're, uh, we are not at war. Remember, after, during World War II, we had a Department of War. We had a Department of War after World War II ended and ended on paper, but didn't end in reality. The U.S. never left those bases all over the world. I think there's about ooh, 190 U.S. bases around the world, Cat's Empire. But the U.S. Department of War became a permanent fixture. They just called it the Department of Defense. So they play this game every two years where Congress has to fund uh, or authorize military expenditures, even though we're technically there's no declared wars. So in the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act, they include provisions for indefinite detention without due process of anyone in the world, including U.S. citizens anywhere in the world. Indefinite detention. And the way it's been construed, it could not only be indefinite detention, the 2012 NDA essentially very much, and uh, you can look at the PatriotCoalition.com, some articles written by Jeff Lewis and Richard Fry, F-R-Y, Search for that, 2012 NDAA, Jeff Lewis, Richard Fry. There's also provisions in there that basically say the way it would be interpreted, that not only could a U.S. citizen be detained indefinitely without due process, any U.S. citizen could be executed without due process. It was rumored that President Bush had a, uh, had a hit list of U.S. citizens, U.S. citizens to be executed without due process. Then it came out that may or may not have been true, but it was certainly was true with Obama. They admitted it. You might remember uh, 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 Anwar al-Awlaki and his son. They were both killed by separate 16-year-old son in separate drone strikes in Yemen. No trial. No trial. Anwar al-Awlaki was accused of being a terrorist. He may have been. I don't know. They killed him by a drone strike, and they killed his son in a separate drone strike, who was a U.S. citizen. So this is the world we're living in, and these are the laws that Trump is inheriting. Obama, in supreme hypocrisy, signed the 2012 NDAA, saying he would never use it. <laughs> and how many people has Obama killed with drones? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Some numbers are out there. Habeas corpus. Habeas corpus exists in uh, enshrined in the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2. Quote, the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion in the, or invasion of the public safety may require it. Unless one case of rebellion or invasion, public safety may public safety may require it. So habeas corpus, Latin, Latin meaning for that you have the body. And I'm quoting here from a piece from Cornell University. In the U.S. system, federal courts can use the writ of habeas corpus to determine if a state's detention of a prisoner is valid. A writ of habeas corpus is used to bring a prisoner to, or other detainee 
before the court to determine if the person's imprisonment or detention is lawful. A habeas petition proceeds as civil action against a state agent, usually a ward, who holds the defendant in custody. It can also be used to examine any extradition processes used, amount of bail, and jurisdiction of the court. Habeas corpus is a writ that's used to bring a party who's been criminally convicted in the state court into federal court. Usually, writs of habeas corpus are used to review the legality of the party's arrest, imprisonment, or detention. The federal court's review of a habeas corpus petition is considered to be collateral relief of a state court decision rather than a direct review. This goes back all the way back in English common law to the Magna Carta. Okay, it's talking 1200s. Habeas corpus originated in English common law as a means to protect individuals from illegal detention. An individual who had been held in custody could file a petition seeking a writ which would require the custodian to provide adequate legal justification for detention. If the custodian failed to do so, the court could order the petitioner's release. Today, habeas corpus is mainly used as a post-conviction remedy, in other words, after you're convicted, for state or federal prisoners who challenge the legality of the application of federal laws that were used in the judicial proceedings that resulted in their detention. The 2012 NDAA, habeas corpus went away. Uh, they basically they took a black marker through Article 1, Section 9, Clause 2 of the Constitution that it didn't exist if they didn't want it to exist. That is the reality. So Obama, again, in the clip I played, was a supreme hypocrite in that he not only never closed Guantanamo and he blamed Congress as if uh, any modern president, including Obama respected Congress. Not only did he not close Guantanamo, he had absolutely no respect for habeas corpus because he signed the 2012 NDAA into existence. And this is this is what President Trump is inheriting. And, you know what will what will President Trump do with these powers? I would like to think he would dismantle them, but right now. Uh, there's there's just no there's there's no indication. Just no indication. We get into this idea of the 2012 NDAA. I quote a recent piece. Now Trump says torture works. U.S. will reveal will review policies and war on terror. This is an AP piece, so Associated Press piece published yesterday. It said President Donald Trump declared Wednesday he believes torture works as his administration ready a sweeping review of how America conducts the war on terror. It includes possible resumption of banned interrogation methods and reopening CIA-run black site prisons outside the U.S. Okay. Again, I would debate, were all those sites ever closed? <laughs> uh, again, I already played the cl- clip where Trump said he believes torture would work. He would defer to Matt, to General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, who does not believe, to his credit, torture does work. Of course, the issue should not merely be the pragmatic argument. The issue should be the legal argument, the argument based on natural law. Is it right? Is it moral? Quote from this AP piece again, Before reviewing interrogation techniques and, fa- and facilities, a draft order would instruct the Pentagon to said newly captured enemy combatants, that phrase is, is, is in quotations, enemy combatants to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, instead of closing the detention facility as President Obama had wanted. Of course, Obama did not want that. That was a colossal lie. He had eight years to do that. He said he was going to do it first thing. Although the possible changes could mark a dramatic return to how, Bush, to how the Bush administration waged campaign against al-Qaeda and other extremist groups. Again, this is all, this AP piece is all mind control. You look at 
Obama once again executing uh, <laughs> Anwar al-Awlaki and his 16-year-old son on separate drone strikes. Uh, nah, Obama Obama had a hit list with U.S. citizens, secret secret hit list. No, Obama did not. Obama did not respect uh, the rule of law, and he exacerbated what Bush started. He didn't. Uh, it didn't get better. He exacerbated it. It got worse. Uh, this piece goes on to say, Trump's draft order calls for reinstating executive order to the extent permitted by Colonel law that President Bush signed in 2007. Obama later revoked, and I would say that was a token revocation concerning once again Obama signed the 2012 NDA into law. Trump's draft would reverse two other executive orders of Obama's. One called for closing Guantanamo Bay, which Obama never did. That's mind control. The other ordered the CIA to shut any detention facility operating and prohibited the U.S. from using any interrogation technique not listed in the Army Field Manual, demanding treatment in compliance with Geneva Conventions, including timely access for, in, for the International Red Cross to all detainees. Uh, as far as the Army Field Manual, the way they've gotten around this for years, it, they would just have the CIA there, a CIA person, or better yet, a contractor standing next to someone in the Army, and then that person who's a contractor from the CIA would do the torture-like waterboarding. And so then the Army fish could say, I, I followed the Army field manual, I followed the law. Just have someone else do it. Uh, any changes would face steep legal and legislative, legislative hurdles. No. Once again, 2012 NDA, certainly not. We had people like Lindsey Graham saying, shut up, you don't get a lawyer. You don't get a lawyer. U.S. intelligence agencies say 17.6% of detainees released from Guantanamo are confirmed to have reengaged in conflict. An additional 12.4% are suspected of reengaging. To me, those numbers are fascinating because how do they get those numbers? In other words, if they know that they're reengaged in conflict, since the U.S. has no problem, uh, the U.S. military has no problem killing people with things like drones. How, how are those people still around? And how do you then come up with 12.4% suspected of reengaging? So we have think about think about you know this mind control here. The U.S. has this massive surveillance complex. You know, the NSA is under military control, right? So you have this massive security complex. You've had this drone program. Uh, the, the U.S. has this extrajudicial ability for the president to execute people without due process, 2012 NDA. But somehow they know 17.6% of detainees released are re-engaged in conflict. Amazing. Obama left office with 41 still in Guantanamo Bay. It says terrorists. This was from a Daily Caller piece, I would say, alleged terrorists, since you never charged. What's the proof? Okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in Guantanamo Bay that were innocent. They were not all terrorists. Uh, and again, there was never any proof. So that's what it comes out to. It's just there's there's never any proof. Uh Trump again going back to the campaign trial said he might make it bigger. But uh is it fair again? I won't go into that piece. That goes back to uh that goes back to November. Uh it is interesting, though, when you look at it. I use the phrase mind control, how this all works, the war on terror. Okay, I'm quoting one piece now from, this goes back to an AP piece, Associated Press piece, November 15, 2016. Never mind closing Guantanamo, Trump might make it bigger. My point in my point in uh, in this article is this. This is where I want to stress. Uh, it said, quote, 
It still holds Guantanamo Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who admitted to planning the September 11th attacks. He faces trial by military tribunal with four of the men. The proceedings have been bogged down largely due to issues related to treatment in CIA custody is now widely viewed as torture. So check this out. It's going to be 10 years in March of this year since Khalid Sheikh Mohammed allegedly confessed guilt to 9-11. It'll be 10 years. He can't get a trial. What? Think about Okay, and it was admitted that he gave that confession not just under duress while tortured. Okay, and this is part of the reason they haven't had the trial. But think about it. How could we say that a trial is going to be just and humane and valid when it's held over 10 years after someone confessed? It's, it's just, it's, it's insane. It's, it's just, it's insane. 10 years? 10 years after, after an alleged confession and he has never trial? <laughs> yeah, when you drill down further into this, you just see you know, a lot has been fabricated. Just a lot has been fabricated. A lot has been fabricated. Uh, one piece as far as what was fabricated. Uh, torture 9-11. Torture Iraq in 9-11. This was posted back in 2009, April 22nd, 2009. Washington's blog. That's a great site. Washington'sblog.com. Washingtonblogs.com. And this talks about about some of the allegations, really the facts, as far as how Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, what were the facts surrounding his alleged confession, okay? To quote that Washington Blogs piece, McClashy fills in some of the details. Former senior U.S. intelligence official familiar with the interrogation issue said that Cheney informed Defense Secretary Donald H. Rumsfeld demanded the interrogators find evidence of Al-Qaeda Iraq collaboration. For most of 2002 and into 2003, Cheney and Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld especially, were also demanding proof of the links between al-Qaeda and Iraq. Former Iraqi exile leader Ahmed Chalabi and others had told them were there. It was during this period that Cheney interrogators were aboard two alleged top al-Qaeda detainees repeatedly, Abu Zubaydah, at least 83 times in August 2002, and KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, he was only award board 183 times in March 2003. That's right, 183 times in March 2003, according to new, new, newly released Justice Department document. Again, this goes back to 2009. When people kept coming up empty, they were told by Cheney, Cheney's and Rumsfeld's people to push harder. He continued, Cheney and Rumsfeld's people were, repeatedly, were told repeatedly by CIA by others that there wasn't any reliable intelligence supported to operational ties between bin Laden and Saddam. Okay, yeah, the uh, the non-existent tie between al-Qaeda and Iraq. A former U.S. Army psychiatrist, Major Charles Burney, told Army investigators in 2006 that interrogators at the Guantanamo Bay Cuban detention facility were under pressure to produce evidence of ties between al-Qaeda and Iraq. Well, while we were there, a large part of the time, we were focused on trying to establish a link between al-Qaeda and Iraq, and we were not successful in establishing a link between al-Qaeda and Iraq, Bernie told staff of the Army Inspector General. The more frustrated people got in not being able to establish that link, there was more and more pressure to resort to measures that might produce more immediate results. 
I think it's obvious that the administration was scrambling then to try to find a connection, a link between al-Qaeda and Iraq. Senator Levin said in a conference call with reporters they made out links where they didn't exist. Levin called Cheney's assertions that a senior Iraqi intelligence officer had met Mohammed Adda, leader of 9-11 hijackers in the Czech Republic of Prague just months before the attacks of the world, on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, the FBI and CIA found that no such meeting occurred. In other words, top Bush administration officials not only knowingly lied about a non-existent connection between al-Qaeda and Iraq, but they pushed and insisted that interrogators used special torture methods aimed at extract, extracting false confessions to, to, to attempt to create such a false linkage. Okay. So this is a this is part of what President Trump has inherited. Uh, I hope uh, I hope the war on terror does end. I hope Trump does stick with uh, his worldview that he's had for many years, going back at least to 2004, that foreign wars of aggression are not good. I hope he does respect the rule of law in those areas. Because of all the changes that could be made, and of course, it's going to be popular to you know reopen, reopen factories here. It's great that you know Trump had uh, Trump had ended the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's it's good that he wants to renegotiate NAFTA. NAFTA really should be repealed completely and totally. But all those things really, as important as they are, nothing could really trump no pun intended uh, our individual liberties. So hopefully, hopefully, Donald J. Trump is President Trump. Uh, he will see that, and he will he will respect the rule of law, and uh, he will attempt to dismantle part of you know, the national security state, really, which has has been the engine behind the war on terror. Trump has said things. I'll end on this note. He said he wants to rebuild the military. I. Uh, don't think the military needs to be rebuilt, in all honesty, when you look at how much money the United States spends on the military compared to the rest of the world. Uh, don't think so. I think they should slash military spending, close a lot of those foreign bases, and uh, I think President Trump should apply his America First uh, perspective as far as the economy to our military also. If it's truly for defense, the U.S. does not need these 180 80, 190 bases around the world. But we shall see. I uh, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe man rules, but God overrules. So I will be praying for President Trump and those the Lord has placed in authority around him. You have been listening to last Friday nights with Rocco P. on the KIRP radio show. Once again, I would like to thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity he gives to me to use his platform once a month. Thank you very much, Pudgy Miller. Thank you for listening tonight. And please tune in again to the KIRP radio show. KIRP radio!